Let us pray. Gracious Lord, quiet our minds, open our hearts and awaken our spirits. Help us to hear your word for us today and in hearing to understand and believe so that we may follow faithfully with glad hearts. Amen. The first scripture reading is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 25, verses 1 through 9. And I'm reading from the New English Bible. O Lord, thou art my God. I will exalt thee and praise thy name, for thou hast accomplished a wonderful purpose, certain and sure, from of old. For thou hast turned cities into heaps of ruin and fortified towns into rubble. Every mansion in the cities is swept away, never to be rebuilt. Therefore, strong peoples will glorify thee. The cities of ruthless nations fear thee. Truly, thou hast been a refuge to the poor, a refuge to the needy in his trouble. Shelter from the tempest and shade from the heat. For the blast of the ruthless is like an icy storm or a scorching drought. Thou subdues the roar of the foe and the song of the ruthless dies away. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will prepare a banquet of rich fare for all the peoples, a banquet of wines well matured and richest fare well-matured wines strained clear. On this mountain, the Lord will swallow up that veil that shrouds all the peoples, the pall thrown over all the nations. He will swallow up death forever. Then the Lord God will wipe away the tears from every face and remove the reproach of his people from the whole earth. The Lord has spoken. On that day, men will say, see, this is our God for whom we have waited to deliver us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us rejoice and exult in his deliverance. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Alice. Well, it's, a, it's good to be back with you all this, this week and, um, have a chance to continue our study of the uh, parables and prophets, a chance for us to kind of continue exploring Jesus's words as they then align and maybe sometimes conflict with or struggle against what we hear from the prophetic tradition of the Old Testament. Our second scripture reading today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, and it is Matthew 22, verses 1 through 14, which I will pull up here. Now, <laughs> let's hear the word of the Lord. Once more, Jesus spoke to, to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding banquet, but they would not come. Again, he sent other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, look, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, and my fat calves for, have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they made light of it and went away, 
one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his slaves, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his troops, destroyed the murderers, and burned their city. Then he said to his slaves, the wedding is ready, but those invited are not, were not worthy. Go therefore into the main streets and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing a wedding robe and said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. The gospel of our Lord, let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would open us up to hear your word today, that we would hear it with uh, fresh ears and alivened imaginations, that you would awaken us to the good news that is here in this text. And even as we wrestle with it, Lord, we trust that you are walking alongside with us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, friends. Well, I will have to admit that from the start, I have wrestled with this passage and do not necessarily feel like I've landed in a place that feels satisfying yet. This happens many times as I prepare for preaching each week. Some weeks it's clear and I feel inspired by the good news I hear God sharing in a particular biblical text. But there are other weeks I'll pray, I'll study, and I'll write, and I'll still feel like it's not quite there. Now, sometimes this happens because I don't have the imagination for the text that helps me see it from our perspective here and now. Sometimes the wrestling happens because I don't actually like what emerges when I study. I don't like the outcome or the perspective that the text seems to be sharing. Sometimes it happens because the text is so full of directions and opportunities for study that it is almost impossible to say anything coherent or comprehensive without spending hours and hours of exploring it in sermon form. And you all didn't plan to do that with me today, did you? How about I keep this to the roughly 20 minutes that I am normally uh, allotting for our time? But as I work with this text, I'm actually wrestling and looking for something deeper, something more and than just one particular story that emerges in a first reading. And what I mean is the struggle and the work and the long obedience of growth and shaping a line of faithful inquiry that might be one of the exact things that this particular text invites us to. And you might ask how? Well, I'm gonna share the punchline of this text before exploring it a bit more. What I read here, and with the help of others who've studied this passage for centuries, is the abundant welcome of God, and with it, the call to faithful obedience. 
Now, like I say, I don't feel resolved on this, but this feels like a generative avenue to pursue. And not, it's not the only one, but it is one avenue and one way of making sense of this text. And so before diving further in, I want to say how good it is to reflect back on how we study scripture and realize that there are many great ways to find meaning and learn from the text, even if it is familiar, even if it is confounding. God speaks through the text in multivalent ways. Meanings and meanings and meanings and meanings emerge. Not that there are contradictory meanings, but a text can hold a great deal of meaning and nuance, and therefore we can delight in the deepening exploration that occurs as we study it through our lives. So, as I mentioned, there's a lot going on in this parable. I want to approach it three ways. First, to explore what happens when the invitation to the feast is ignored or denied. Second, to explore what happens when the invitation is accepted, but without obedience or participation. And third, to explore what happens when the invitation is lived into, fully participated in, received, and celebrated. I titled the sermon, Who Me? I'm Invited. And what I want to explore are three responses to that invitation. First, there's the invitation that is ignored. This passage says the people who received invitation made light of it. Business, ignoring the opportunity to come to the prince's wedding. And some simply ignored it, and some took violence against the king's messengers. This parable might sound pretty familiar. It does, because throughout many of Jesus's parables, there are people who ignore the master's call, or they, like seeds on rocky ground, grow up like you'd hope they would. What I wrestle here is the reality that you can ignore the invitation to the party or to the kingdom of heaven. I don't want this to be true. I don't want this to be the end of the story of these folks. I wrestle with it because I want there to be a way of grace. But time and again, through the gospel parables, we hear about people who turn away. This is their right, and it happens. The king calls them not worthy because they ignore the invitation. I wrestle with this because I want even the unworthy to find a place at the table with God. And it pains me to think that some might simply disregard the invitation to the table or even violently oppose it. I find that I am invited in this part of the narrative to feel the grief and lament of the one who ignore and deny the invitation for those people. I don't feel like it's fair to write them off. And so I feel a longing in my heart, perhaps like one of the messengers have felt, to plead with them that the king, or to plead with the king that he would give them some grace. I don't feel like I can resolve this enough to my satisfaction. And perhaps 
This is central to why I still hold hope. Now, coupled with this lament, there's also the rage of the king that we need to pay attention to. The good, good feast, the wedding banquet. When the invitation is ignored or denied, I think it's quite justifiable to feel anger here. It makes sense. I know I've that way. The friend that I invite over for dinner, I know says they can't come because they're actually just waiting for a better opportunity to come along. Now, I also must admit as an aside, I have also been that guy. And it's not the most life-giving place to, to sit either. We wrestle with the anger of being jilted and even harmed in the response to our invitation. So that's one category for approaching this text. The second category of folks that I want to explore and wrestle with are the ones who get invited later, the good and the bad, who actually do come and attend, but among them, there is at least one who doesn't fully obey the norms of the party and gets thrown out. Now, at first blush, I have the most trouble with this part of the text. You've got to say to the king, now, come on, buddy. You've invited these people as second choice participants. Beggars can't be choosers. Don't flip out if they don't do it right. I think part of this for me, it, there's an assumption that since the invitation went out to the streets, to all the people the messengers could find, that perhaps there were a few folks who didn't have appropriate wedding attire. The beggar on the roadside, who's there for a warm meal. The poor widow who sold her wedding gown to feed her family. I want the king to cut them some slack. I mean, if you're going to require everyone to wear a wedding robe, are you maybe going to provide those wedding robes for people? But this wrestling gets more complicated when I think about the purpose of accepting the invitation. The ones who show up have accepted the invite. We don't hear about anyone from the streets turning the invite down or saying, you know what, I've got another thing tonight. But what about those folks? I struggle with this text even as I read through scholars who've studied it for years. I don't find myself satisfied with the way the king handles the one man, throwing him out into the darkness of the streets the place of weeping. Perhaps those folks out there are weeping because they couldn't accept invitation due to the fact they didn't have wedding robes available. So was this one guy just really gutsy and tried to go anyway? I think there's more going there. There's something more to this person and the king's reaction. Commentators argue that the text presents the concept of God's election of participants in the life of the kingdom. And with that participation comes the call to obedience. Basically, it's the wedding note or wedding invitation that says black tie only. You are very welcome, but make sure you wear your tuxes and evening gowns. And if you can't, don't come. While I wrestle with the justice of this kind of invitation, 
I want to also look at the other side of it and remark about the ones who live obediently into the invitation. The final category of those who come to the wedding feast is those in their robes and who are welcomed. They, sure, they're not the first choice, but that doesn't matter. They receive the invitation gracefully and obey the cultural rules of dress code and conduct. They are the chosen, the ones who get to fully participate. They are the ones who celebrate the wedding and enjoy the feast. But they are also the ones who have to watch the king throw out the one without a robe. How do you imagine that felt? Imagine getting the call to come to the wedding feast and rushing to get your robe and come up the mountain to the king's house. Imagine walking alongside your neighbors who are also dressed for the occasion. Imagine your excitement at getting to be at the king's feast. But then also imagine that you notice this one person who isn't wearing a robe. And you may wonder to yourself, well, did they not get the memo? You look at them and you think, well, that is not going to end well. On the one hand, this group of people have received the blessing of the king's grace and can, can simply own that for themselves. They are you and me, the ones who say yes to God's invitation and live along the journey of deepening our obedience and full participation. But on the other hand, this group is also complicit with the one or in the one getting thrown out. Didn't they see the need to tell this person to grab a robe? His expulsion is on their hands. Now this makes us feel guilty, doesn't it? I wrestle with this guilt, this complicity. And so here is where I think we have a great opportunity to explore and deepen our understanding of being called to be witnesses to God's kingdom. It is wonderful that we hear the invitation for ourselves, but then the work is not simply to gather up your own belongings and join the party. The work is to draw others in and help others along. We know the goodness of the feast. Our work is to invite others and equip them to participate. Let's think back to the man who's thrown out. The text says he was speechless. Why was he speechless? Because he didn't know how to respond? Sure. But also, maybe he was speechless as he looked around the room of people and thought, you all set me up for failure. Friends, the point here that I'm wrestling with is our call to equip and empower others to be a part of the party. Teach. Lift up, admonish, encourage each other. Does someone you know want to join in, but they're afraid they can't be good enough? Then how could you share with them about the grace of God and let them know that it's okay to not be perfect, but that we are all on the way? And hey, friend, here's an old robe of mine. You're welcome to use it. Oh, you don't know how to sing hymns from a hymnal? Okay, let me show you. 
Oh, you don't know all the scriptures? That's all right. Let me teach you a couple of my favorite ones that mean something to me. Oh, hey, friend, we don't treat each other like that. We respond with forgiveness and love. It's okay. You're learning. Let me show you how. I can imagine that there were some other folks at the wedding with borrowed robes on. They're the folks who say, who, me? I'm invited. They're the ones who maybe should have denied the invite, but you know what? Someone else helped them out. Maybe the teaching of this text isn't for us directly. Maybe instead it's for us to share with others, to let others know how to be involved. These are my wrestlings because they require deeper work and reflection and wondering. And it is taking this curious approach to a difficult and rich text that is a mark of growing in faith. As we walk the road with Christ, we begin to recognize that there are always new things to learn, new ways to encounter our world, new opportunities to reconsider how we understand the journey. Having disagreements with God can become more normal in a good way. Having questions and seeking out a deeper sense of truth can lead us into closer relationship with the Holy One. For some, struggle and deepening of questions can also lead to discomfort and even cause them to step away. Doubt arrives. And what I want to say is that's okay as I work on this passage. It is okay to have questions and to wrestle and to feel unresolved. For me, I have learned to bless my doubts. And it's taken me many years to get to that place. Now I hold the tension of a text like this with its uncomfortable ending and wonder at what it is I might be missing rather than disregarding it as unpalatable. That this is the journey of spiritual maturity. So can you find an invitation in the rest, into wrestling today? One of the most important things that keeps me tethered, even as I wrestle, is the affirmation of God's abundant love. That is why we need to read the Isaiah passage from this morning alongside the parable of Matthew. We need to be reminded that out of desolation and wandering, God is calling the people to an abundant feast, a place of gathering that then sends out the people all over the world to share the good news, a place where tears are wiped away and death is swallowed, if is in our imagination, we can hold the tension of wrestling with God. If this is the ultimate revelation of God's kingdom on earth, this is the prophetic picture of God's feast occurs, then we can handle the struggle. By holding this picture, we can also see why the parable instructs us to obey, to fully participate, to not come underdressed but to come ready to be a full participant in the, in the party. Today, friends, may we hold wrestling, grace, and welcome. And may we help others along, not shunning them or ignoring their need for help, 
but rather by grace, stepping alongside them and showing them how it's done. Let us pray. Holy God, today grateful for the invitation that you extend to us to come to the feast. And Lord, we know that at times we don't have our best robe. And so we ask that you would bring others along who might help. Have an extra robe in the closet. Would you like to borrow it? Lord, we pray that there would be those kind of people in our lives. And we also ask, Lord, that you would help us to see those in need who need that extra help, that walking alongside, and that that might be our very way of being your hands and feet. Lord, we trust that you are welcoming us into your good feast. May we find the way together. We pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen.